Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And once again, welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Second City Church. My name is Cole. I'm associate pastor here at the church, and I'm super excited to be with you guys today as we dig in to part, yes, <laughs> part four of our forgiveness series. Pastor Ron has preached the first three messages uh, about forgiveness and our forgiveness series. And so some of the things we've learned so far in our forgiveness series, to be a quick recap for you, is we've already seen that in Jesus' encounter with the paralytic, that Jesus claims to be God. So there's no doubt about it, Jesus claimed to be God through his act of forgiving people. Uh, number two, we, he forgives sins. Jesus does it and Jesus heals us. So it's not just lip service. It's not just spiritual, though it is spiritual, but it's physical as well, and Jesus does it. Forgiveness of sins is our foundational need and our foundational healing because it is the thing that needs to be fixed so that everything else can happen. It's the foundation for the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is. It's the foundation for healing here and now in our emotions, our mind, and our bodies. Uh, we also learned that sin cripples us. And sometimes we got to get forgiven so we can get healed so that we can get free and we can do what God has called us to do. We also learned through the parable of the unmerciful servant that everyone needs forgiveness and God makes it available to everyone. But in order to hold on to that forgiveness, we have to give it away. And so whatever we don't give, we can't keep. You hear me? Whatever we don't give, we can't keep. We got to give the forgiveness away in order to abide in Christ and walk in it ourselves. And then we learn that those who have been forgiven little, or maybe who don't realize how big their sin is, those who have been forgiven little, love little, while those who have been forgiven much and are very aware of their sin, they have the capacity to love much. We can never forget that the best, most productive missionary in the church, Paul the Apostle, was also the biggest enemy of the church with blood on his hands. So he had a lot to be forgiven of. And he was forgiven. And Jesus brought him in. And he became the greatest missionary with the most love that, that the world has ever seen. And so those are some of the things that we learned. Uh, but today's message is entitled Forgiveness, Love Your Enemies. And so we're going to focus in on this point today. So all you disciples out there and all you people who got us calling into relationship with himself, here's the focus. We will prove to be disciples of Jesus Christ when we move beyond forgiving our enemies, but to loving our enemies. We will prove to be disciples of Jesus Christ when we move beyond forgiving our enemies and to actually loving our enemies. So let's go see what the Word of God says here. And so we're going to turn to God's Word in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 42. And I'm going to stop as we're reading it, and we're going to talk about it. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is this crazy notion that God would actually ask us to love people who are, by definition, trying to do us harm. And that would be our enemies. All right, so verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. All right, we're going to stop right there. So this is Jesus talking. He just came down off the mount. He had just picked his 12 apostles. He's surrounded by 
uh, a crowd of disciples, but he's also surrounded by a crowd of people who are not necessarily disciples. They're just there to hear the message. They're there to be healed, to be delivered uh, from the demonic activity that's in their lives. And so he specifically says, to you who hear, and he's talking, he's directing it to his disciples. So he's saying, if you are my disciple, if you know who I am, then this is for you. Okay, so are you his disciple? Then this is what a disciple of Jesus, a follower of him, an imitator of him, one who's been touched by him, who recognizes the own depth of their sin. He says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. He doesn't say, tolerate your enemies. He doesn't say, overlook your enemies. Uh, no, he says, love your enemies. And so then we have to ask ourselves, what is love? Well, the word love here that's used is agape, okay? So I've got agape written down right here. Let's go to it. The word love in Greek is agape, at least the, the version that's used there. And it means to, here you go, unselfishly seek the best or highest good for others. Unselfishly seek the best or the highest good for others. Now, when we hear love yourself, love your wife, Love your mom and dad. Love your children. Seek the highest, best, and best unselfishly for them. Okay, God, I get it. But when he says, seek the highest and the best for the one who is proactively trying to harm you, trying to kill you, trying to destroy you, trying to humiliate you, I don't know about you, but my flesh is immediately offended and it feels unjust, unfair. How could you say this, Jesus? Well, let's keep going. And so he says, <laughs> uh, But I say to you who hear it, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. So those in their heart that have predetermined, and it's not a mistake, it's not an accident that they've done harm to you. He says, do good to those who hate you, which means they harbor it in their heart. Bless those who curse you. Do the opposite. Overcome evil with good. And pray for those who abuse you. And this is a very interesting one. Have you ever heard anybody praying for vengeance? Praying for, um, praying for justice, but not in the way that is, um, uh, but, but in a way that is just vindictive, so to speak. And it's not praying for, um, uh, for their good. It's not praying for their conversion to Christ, that they would come to know Christ through repentance and turning from their sin. This, this is a great um, disappointment. This is a great uh, a thing that we need to work on uh, in the church because the people who have done the most harm in the world have the most capacity to love Jesus and they are able to bring him much glory. And so when we're not praying for our enemies to be saved and to come to know Jesus and that the cross would be the payment for their sin as they turn to him, we're actually praying for Jesus to not receive the glory and the honor that is due him. And so this is a great tragedy, and God wants us to change this. Verse 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, yes, he said, physically hits you, strikes you on the cheek, offer the other cheek 
also. Okay, guys, what did this mean back in the day in the culture that Jesus was living in and talking to? This was such a great insult that somebody would slap you on your cheek backhanded in public to publicly insult you because the intent is not to break your teeth. If they wanted to break your teeth, they would, they would roll up their fist and they would punch you. They wouldn't slap you. So it was to insult you, to humiliate you in public. It was so uh, great an offense that it was actually punishable by law uh, that somebody would do that. And so he says this abuse, this humiliation that's even punishable by law. So think about what that compares to in our time and our day, something that's punishable by law. He says, when they do it to you, make yourself vulnerable and turn the other cheek to them as well. Also, from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So this could be considered your outer tunic and your inner tunic. Okay, now that was what the average peasant at the time had, an outer tunic and an inner tunic. So if somebody takes your coat, oh man, you stole my coat, I'm going to be cold. Okay, that's bad. But somebody takes your inner tunic, that leaves you naked and not only cold, but humiliated. It's shameful. And Jesus says, do not withhold your tunic either. Okay, so what we're picking up on here is Jesus is saying that if we're going to love our enemies, we're going to be vulnerable. It's going to hurt. It's going to probably humiliate us in order to do it. And it probably won't be acceptable in the culture of the time to do this. All right, we're going on to verse 30. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, okay, so begging, okay, give to everyone who's begging, all right, but to the one who takes away your goods, there's a word for this, and it's called being robbed. <laughs> Somebody forcibly takes away your goods. Uh, do not demand them back. Okay, Jesus, no retaliation. Okay, got it. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So Jesus is calling us, his followers, those who claim to have the very life-giving, living, holy Spirit of God living in us to not be concerned with our own honor, which we just saw, but also to have to be distinguished from the world around us because he's saying even sinners love those who love them. So if we're not doing something different, then are we really walking with Jesus? And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So there we go again. He's looking for that distinction. Verse 34. And if you lend, all right, talking about money again, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. 
and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Okay, here we go. For He, talking about the Most High, talking about God, for God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So ultimately what Jesus is saying, hey, those who hear, those who are my disciples, those who recognize your own fallenness, your own depravity, that have received forgiveness, who are once enemies of God, I am now calling you to be like me, and this is how I am. I am kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I am merciful and have been merciful with you, and now I'm calling you to be merciful to others who you would consider your enemies, and that is being like me. And when you do that, you have a reward that is not dependent on how they respond, whether they repay you, whether they recognize the mercy that they have been granted or not. Your reward is with me. So uh, all of that first point in that first section can be summed up with when we learn to not only forgive like Jesus does, but love our enemies like he does as well, we prove ourselves as his disciples, becoming useful in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Now, Jesus promised that his followers who obey his teaching will have enemies. When we back up to the uh, Beatitudes right before this section, he's talking about, look, if you follow me, you will be hated on account of my name. You will be persecuted. You will be slandered about. You will be uh, rejected. You will be left out. Maybe foreshadowing the apostles and his disciples being kicked out of the synagogue later on. Uh, after the resurrection, but he's saying that if you're following me, you will have enemies. Okay, so people of God, if you don't have any enemies right now, we have to ask the question, am I really living for Jesus? If, if everybody speaks well of me, Jesus said that they did that, meaning the world, to the false prophets back in the Old Testament, but the true prophets were persecuted, and because we're following Jesus, God himself, how much more would we be persecuted as well? And so, uh, these enemies persecute them just because they obey him, so just because of his name. Now, an enemy, by definition, is someone who hates you and actively seeks your harm through insults, slander, humiliation, theft, lawsuits, exclusion, and even physical harm. Love goes beyond a feeling. It is doing good, like Jesus said. It is speaking blessing, and it is lending and praying for our enemies. And so when Jesus tells us to do something, it doesn't mean that we have to feel the way that we think we ought to feel. It, our joy comes in knowing that we are obeying the one who gave his life for us, and we are bringing him glory. And hopefully... One day, we will feel the same way that Jesus feels for those who have done these things. But sometimes, the feeling comes after the obedience. When you get to experience the result of it, then you have the feeling like Jesus has. When we love and show mercy to the ungrateful and wicked, 
we are allowing the light of Christ to shine through us, proving our identity as children of God. And this is our reward as well. It's knowing that we are bringing Him glory and we are His children. Just the knowledge of that should bring us much joy. Um, okay, guys, now we're going to move on to verses 37 through 38. All right, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, the picture of a full lap that's being talked about here uh, represents our hearts and our life being full. So back in the day, when you were buying grain or, or something like that, they would have a container, a jar, or something, and they would put it in the grain to measure it out, the person selling it, and they would shake it to make sure it settles well, right? And they'd press it down, and then they would add more and press it down and keep doing that until it was running over to make sure there was no um, uh, empty space in there. So it was full as it could get and then overrunning, right? And that's what you paid for. And so they would pour it into your lap. And I know you guys can't see my shirt, but... Have you ever, like a kangaroo has a pouch, you know, there's uh, shirts that they pour it in there and in the fold they would carry it to where they were going. So the picture of a full lap represents a, our heart and our lives. To have a heart full of God's peace, we must have first received forgiveness from Him and then freely given it to others. We cannot, I said this earlier, we cannot keep what we do not give. And that's just a principle of the kingdom of God in general. Whatever we, we hold on to too tightly, we deform it. Whatever we hold on too tightly, we, um, uh, uh, we stop the flow of heaven's provision in our lives, whether it be forgiveness, whether it be grace, mercy, or whether it be uh, resources, um, money, whether, whether it be relationships, whatever it is, when we hold on to it, we stop the flow and we deform it and we cannot keep it. So the measuring standard we use in judging condemning and forgiving others will be that which is used toward us. We must use God's standard and not our self-righteous standard to judge ourselves and others. So I know I'm talking to somebody out there who's dealt with what I've dealt with, where you're hypercritical over yourself. And it's not even God's standard that you're looking at. It's things that you somehow probably from the enemy of your soul and wants to kill and destroy you have put on you. And you need to stop judging yourself according to your own self-righteousness and also stop judging others according to it as well. But you need to do it according to God's standard. Now, this is good news and this is bad news because God's standard is holy perfection. <laughs> You're like, well, Cole, I thought I was judging myself harshly. Well, hold on. So God's standard is holy perfection defined by himself. So what this does is, is this frees you and me from trying uh, to figure out what is right. What is the standard? We just have to look at Jesus and what God has said. Now, only one person is measured up to it, and as I just said it, it's Jesus. Now, if we know, we live, and we judge by God's standard as exemplified in Christ Jesus, we will walk humbly, we will attempt to be holy, and we will show mercy to ourselves and others. Why? Because, this is the gospel, even though Jesus is the standard to which we were supposed to achieve, 
but because we couldn't do it, he came down and he lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. And guess what? Even the life that your enemies should have lived, those who actively pursue you for harm, he did it for them too. And so this is the good news, that if we trust in him, his life can become our life. The theology word is it can be imputed to us. His righteousness can become ours through faith. And it's true for your enemies as well. Now, we're going to move on to verses 39 through 42, where it says, He, being Jesus, also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Alright, so number one. A blind person walking alone without any assistance is dangerous, okay? A blind guide leading a blind follower is foolish, and for the person who thinks that they can guide, it is prideful. So, <laughs> here's the truth. All have sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard, like we just talked about, okay? So, we've all been blinded uh, by Satan and our own rebellion. But Jesus has come as the light in the darkness, exposing Satan's schemes and also exposing our hearts. Only Jesus can heal our blindness. He can reveal our need for forgiveness, and He can remove the logs in our eyes so that we may lovingly help others find healing in Him, including our enemies. So, Church of God, Church of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you say, yes, I was a sinner and now I've been saved, I've received forgiveness from God, you and I do not have the right to withhold this message from the enemies in our lives. It would take God's grace. It would take His Holy Spirit to love our enemies, but we cannot compromise. We cannot walk away from this. God's glory is at stake. The salvation of many is at stake. And even for us, for integrity, spiritual integrity, but proving that we are disciples, this is what we do. We not only forgive our enemies, we love our enemies. We bless them. We overcome evil with good. We go the opposite way that the world is going, right? We don't have cancel culture. We have redemption culture. And we see people um, as God sees them, as redeemable, not condemning them, saying there's no hope for them. There's hope for everybody if there's breath in their lungs because you and I made it. We were once the enemies of God, but now we're the children of God, okay? I love this quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. It says, Consequently, Christianity does not want us to reduce by one atom the hatred we feel for cruelty and treachery. 
We ought to hate them, but it does want us to hate them in the same way in which we hate things in ourselves. Being sorry that the person should have done such things and hoping, if it is in any way possible, that somehow, sometime, somewhere, they can be cured. And this is the hope that we have for ourselves. We loathe certain things about ourselves, but because Jesus loves us, we love us, and so we believe and we hope and we trust that He, that he will change us. And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, this is what we need to do. We need to have that same hope that is fueled by love that they too can change in Christ. I know this is not an easy message. I know this is not a popular message. So just email me (laughs) or talk to me. We can talk more about it. But I do want us to come out of here knowing that we were once his enemies and he made us into sons and daughters. And now we, by the power of his spirit, have been commissioned to go and take this good news. And there will be persecution. We will be vulnerable. It will not be easy. It will hurt. But the reward of bringing glory to Jesus and being with him, and then one day seeing others come as well, it will be worth it. So will you pray with me right now for those that you've realized I am an enemy because of my sin toward God, and yet he loved me? by laying down his life willingly for me when he could have just been like, forget it, I'm not going to pursue reconciliation. It's not worth it. But he did it. I'm going to pray for you and for you guys that are having a hard time abiding in Christ in the sense of walking in forgiveness. And therefore, you don't have peace because when you're not forgiving others, you're not able to hold on to it yourself as well. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to first pray for those who have not uh, come to know you as Savior, who have not come to know you as Redeemer, the one who washes away our sins. Father, I pray now that as they trust you, the one who takes enemies and makes them sons and daughters, as they trust in your shed blood on the cross for them, your broken body for them, God, I pray that you would restore them now, that you bring them back into the family and that they would know you as you are, and that is a good Heavenly Father who doesn't give up. And Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that have been wronged, they've been hurt, they've been stabbed in the back, uh, they've been abused, um, they've been persecuted, Lord. God, I pray that the same grace that you gave uh, to Stephen as he was being stoned to death, and he said, forgive them, Lord, don't hold this against them as he was, as the Spirit was leaving his body, as is being stoned. Lord, I pray that you would give them that same hope, Lord, that same joy, that they would be able to stand with you, loving people to the end, Lord. And I pray that uh, your church, again, would be a city set on a hill, Lord. And Lord, we ask you for the grace to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, friends, if you want to talk to somebody We'd love to help you get started on this walk. 
or even help you work out the things in your soul. Uh, so please click the prayer button or one of the chat prompts that comes, in the, comes up in the box that says, I want to start a new life in Jesus Christ, and we want to help you get started on that. We're going to continue to discuss these matters this week in our community groups. So if you've not yet been able to find one, please do visit our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options. We'll be praying for you this week, so let us know how we can be standing with you. And do think about who you can share this link with that they also might be encouraged by the grace of God. Please do invite someone next week to our service who also needs to meet the living God found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And until then, have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you soon.